The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Yo. And tonight, we're going metal. As in heavy metal. And to discuss heavy metal, we've brought in an expert, uh, DJ and music teacher, Richard Mall. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you for inviting me on your show. I have been an avid fan of your podcast, so it's a pleasure and honor to be, to be invited to come in and discuss this subject with you. I should, I should make a correction. You're a music history teacher, not a, mu- not a teacher of music itself, even though you are actually a musician as well. Yeah, I, I do teach music history, uh, um, I, even though I, I can play in an instrument in, in a rudimentary way. No, I'm, I'm more a music <laughs> history buff and an improviser as well. Right. So we've brought you on, Richard, of course, because um, heavy metal is perhaps the nerdliest of all forms of music. And there's a long history of uh, nerddom being connected with heavy metal in many ways, shapes and forms, which we'll get into later. Um, but, uh, first I thought we should probably do a little bit of a background because there's some of our listeners may not be that familiar with heavy metal or they may not be familiar with its origins or roots. So Richard, why don't you tell us a little bit about them? Okay. Well, heavy metal, um, comes out of what we call hard rock, which was the, um, music that, uh, emerged from bands like The Who and Cream and and Jimi Hendrix, uh, and even to a lesser extent with the Beatles, uh, with with songs like Helter Skelter, at the end of uh, the 1960s. Now, in terms of coming up with a definition of what heavy metal is, we'll probably probably get into that in in a little more depth, but. The origins are ambiguous. We know okay. it's 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 a phrase that's been used in chemistry and metallurgy. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about the periodic table and talk about light and heavy metals, like a heavy metal like uranium, mm-hmm. that's a that's a, uh, you know that's a term that would be used in chemistry and metallurgy. We also know that um, one of the first references to to the term and the, one of the first times that we used in in fiction which was was in a, a story by William Burroughs. And, really? Uh, yeah. So the British band the Soft Machine called themselves gave themselves that moniker after the William Burroughs uh, novel and in that novel there is a character in tip entitled Uranium Willie the heavy metal kid. Hmm. Huh. Uh, and in the next Burroughs' next novel, uh, Nova Express, in 1964, Soft Machine came out in 1962, develops the theme with heavy metal as a, uh, a metaphor for addictive drugs. Oh. Um, so there's a, a, a fantasy uh, and um, 
sort of sci-fi deviant element which you would associate with Burroughs novels mm-hmm. um, oh, and I and I know that he also used it um, I think he used it in another novel as well so Burroughs at least in, in a, a, a literature context was one of the first people to use the phrase um, we know that that of course the Steppenwolf song mm-hmm. Born to be Wild yeah, I, right. um, I, I like Smoke Lightning, Heavy Metal th- Thunder Racing with the Wind and that feeling I'm under mm-hmm. so we, it has those that has that background the first mm-hmm. people to use it well there you know if you go to look on Wikipedia various people Various critics take credit for for the first references to it. So there's a uh, on Wikipedia they talk about a critic named Barry Gifford in or an early in an 1868 edition of Rolling Stone reviewing a, a blues band, a re- Electric Flag, and making reference to the music was a synthesis of white blues and heavy metal rock. Oh. Um, the band Blue Cheer um, is being referred to as one of the first heavy rock or heavy metal bands. Uh, another critic, Mike Saunders, in a, a review of uh, an album by the Humble Pie, of course, featured Peter Frampton, again, uses the word heavy metal to refer, refer to the heaviness and loudness and, and, and use of distortion. So the term was was in the air. But to my, to my mind, gentlemen, when I was growing up, heavy metal and hard rock were the same thing so mm-hmm. in yeah. fact i i don't i don't remember when hard rock became heavy metal hmm. so when people suddenly this music that that i always thought had roots you know with i said to bands like deep purple and and led zeppelin and cream and and the who and the kinks with you really got me they were the, suddenly uh, referred to as being the pioneers of heavy metal, I was mm-hmm. like, I thought it was just rock or or yeah. hard hard rock. So, um, so who's the first heavy metal band? Well, I guess that's given to Black Sabbath. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but again, that's they have never seen themselves as a, as a heavy metal band, um, and they've they've sort of accepted the mantle. And mm-hmm. if you and if you go to any kind of reference guide or book, um, you know Sabbath are listed as um, as the pioneers of heavy metal, hmm. whether hmm. they liked it or not. <laughs> they have no choice in the matter. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I mean, that's that's sort of the entomology of of the word and and a little bit of mm-hmm. of of where the term was and. And some of the bands um, associated with it, right? Yeah. Well, so if heavy metal started with Sabbath, when did Sabbath actually begin? Then Sabbath begins, and uh, I believe Sabbath begins in 60, 68. Is it right? Is it is it sixty eight, sixty, sixty nine? Mm-hmm. Uh, that the first. The first Sabbath album uh, was released. Let me let me just double. Yeah, I think 
I think you're right, but I think they were they were something else before that, kind of, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So the first the the first re, first album came out in in 1970. So the beginning, the begin the new decade. So the 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 order of Sabbath albums are Black Sabbath, self-titled 1970, Paranoid, the same year. Yeah, Masters Reality seventy one, um, Volume four seventy two, and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath seventy three, and then and after seventy three, it starts to get a little, it gets a little uh, uh, weird. So um, <laughs> it in terms, of, well, in terms of you know, there a lot of the the fractious nature of the way that drugs seem to take take <laughs> over the over the band, but yeah. Um, you know, 1970, uh, it's, and again, that, that was, a. um, it's, it's funny about Sabbath. They, they, as I said, they started, a a, a, a genre of hard rock unbeknownst to them. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, and I, I, we, we, you know, we've all heard the opening to black Sabbath with, with the rain and the thunder, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously taken from their love of, of hammer movies and Dennis Wheatley books. And then the, you know, the banging of the gong and, yeah. and you know, that, that tritone riff and suddenly, you know, m- millions of bands around the world are hear this and think, Hey, this is something we've never heard before. Or, uh, right. and, and yeah. I think the thing to keep in mind about heavy metal is it, is it, it, ha- it is less blues oriented music even though i mean it, they were you know black sabbath were huge huge blues fans and their their early band were uh were you know doing blues covers and yeah. and and bill ward is a huge huge jazz album the first first two sabbath albums are swing like crazy i mean they they are <laughs> they are almost as much sort of heavy heavy folk jazz records as they are the pioneers of 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 heavy metal so well it's interesting that then that the very first heavy metal band has a name black sabbath that's associated with magic and mysticism and fantasy absolutely absolutely so so gentlemen where when was the first time you heard heavy metal the the term or or the the style Uh, how about how about how about both don what was the first time you heard either heard the term or heard heard the music. Okay, it's it's interesting that you you make that mention that a lot of the earliest metal bands don't count themselves as that because I think that got retroactively added to a bunch cuz I can remember mm-hmm. like Sabbath was um considered hard rock. Uh Kiss was just a rock band and they're considered like metal now. Um the first time I'd really heard the term was probably around seventy nine or eighty being applied to Judas Priest. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and 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 that would probably be a legitimate reference because mm-hmm. by that time they would they would have seen themselves at, as a as a heavy metal band and and, yeah. and very much embracing the genre. So yeah, that that makes it and, and that seems like a natural connection. And I, I think too with with that was I think Priest might have been the first one that people thought of and around that time because that would be around british steel mm-hmm. would be the first one that we would recognize as metal because their first few albums uh 
right up to, I think, uh, what was it, Sad Wings of Destiny was their first. That's very, like, even though it came out in the early 70s, it's very, like, 1960s psychedelic sounding. Like, it, it doesn't sound like what we would consider metal nowadays. Absolutely. You're right, Don. I mean, and, and the funny, I mean, it sounds like prog that just, that they don't, the funny thing about that record is it is that it it's it's very much rooted in hard blues and blues rock, but they yeah. listen to a lot of prog rock, but they're not skilled enough <laughs> and technically proficient enough to pull it off. I mean, yeah. they, they they weren't they weren't Genesis, they weren't Yes, they weren't uh, you know ELP or King Crimson. They mm-hmm. were guys who just didn't have the technical facility. So as much as I like that record. It, uh, I'm getting a lot of trouble. I I don't <laughs> think it quite quite works. Whereas with you know an album like British Steel and tracks like Breaking the Law and Living yeah. After Midnight, they streamlined their sound. They found that they were a groove oriented band, and and with with power riffs and double leads, and they were on their way to mega stardom. Yeah. <laughs> um, to answer your to question for me, now this is where my nerd cred is going to go through the roof, or I'm going to look incredibly bad in a second. <laughs> um, the very my first real aware, I was aware of heavy metal. I was aware I'd heard the term like kids in my uh, high school, no, correct, element kids in my elementary school classes would wear things like uh, Black Sabbath T-shirts. I remember Black Sabbath T-shirts in elementary school. But my first actual awareness of heavy metal as a music genre that I actually listened to and thought, hey, I actually kind of like this, would actually come in 1987 um, with the release of a very specific movie. And this is where I get totally geeky for a second. <laughs> Transformers the movie. Oh, okay. The original animated one that came out in 1987, um, which has, um, let's see, well, the main metal band on there is Spectre General. <laughs> they did a good chunk of the uh, album. You know, it is... Transformers the movie, so it's heavy metal, obviously. Um, and I love that soundtrack to death. And so, in a weird way, that soundtrack got me into metal. You know, so I got in through Lion, Spectre General, Energy, and the other bands that were on that soundtrack. Really, you know, they rocked my world for a little while. And although I didn't go so far as actually buying like metal um, albums or anything like that. I wouldn't become an active listener to metal in other forms until probably I hit university. Um, So that would have been around 90. Mm -hmm. And at that time, actually, I owe owe it to Don, actually. Don started lending me his mixtapes. And thanks to Don's um, hate tapes, as he used to call them. That was a um, doke term. That was a doke term, okay. Yeah, because it was music everybody else hated. Right, okay, there we go. (laughs) So thanks to Don's hate mixtapes, I got into Judas Priest, and they would probably be my first love as far as uh, metal goes. So it goes back to Judas Priest again. What was it about the, that band that uh, grabbed your attention, gentlemen? Like, what was it about Priest over some of the other older hard rock bands, you know, whether it be Deep Purple or, or Zeppelin or, you know, somebody like um, that, that really turned you around and, and and said to you introduced to you to a to a, an, a new music or or, or music done in a, in a new way huh. hmm that's an interesting question i guess for me it came at the right time for me like i said i was in university um i was exploring different kinds of music and 
Judas Priest itself had a good, like, hard-driving rhythm to it that I really appreciated. You know, songs like Breaking the Law, for example, or that. Um, kind of, not that I was going out to, you know, break the law or anything like that, but it's kind of, but, you know, the rhythm and the lyrics and that kind of just spoke to me at that time. You know, there was this um, rebellious aspect to Judas Priest. Also, I found Judas Priest songs to be the kind of stuff that I liked from movie soundtracks, for example, which I was also into at the time. Not that there was a lot of Priest and music soundtracks, but that hard-driving action sound. Like they were, It was almost like they were designing, doing music to act as soundtracks to action movies and stuff that I liked. Mm. If I could have back in those days, because this was pre-internet, of course, you know, I probably would have been taking them and like using them to make like uh, music videos on YouTube or something like that back in the day. Um, I couldn't, so the only place that I had that was actually in my own head. So I would make little music videos <laughs> in my head uh, to go along with Judas Priest songs because some of them just had some such great lyrics, especially for I was into like cyberpunk at that point and you know getting into some anime at that point, and it all kind of just meshed together. It worked very well for me. Hmm. So that's that's kind of why I got into Priest. How about you, Don? I think I ended up with Priest because uh, well, when I was a kid, up until I was around ten or eleven. The only music I listened to was the Beatles. I, I don't know why, just nothing else appealed to me. And then right, around, we forgive you. <laughs> and then around that age, I started getting into uh, some of the more psychedelic stuff from that era. So I got into the Moody Blues, Jethro Tull. Uh, big fan of uh, of uh, why can't I remember? Arthur Brown. Hmm. And then the the Judas Priest stuff because they kind of came out of that tradition. A lot of the stuff that I heard, like I say, just say, uh, just prior to uh, British Steel, like say, Staint Class, or uh, shoot, the one I can't remember just before that, still had a touch of that, but it had some weight behind it, because they were starting to use those like heavy riffs, and they had the double guitars, and the screaming vocals, and again, yeah, it was just that idea, it was music that had some punch to it. Yeah, Painkiller came out before uh, British Steel, I think. Oh no, Painkillers? Yeah. Did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that painkiller yeah. is one of the latest, later ones, just before uh, they. Oh broke wait, up. no, you, no, no, he, I'm wrong. You're, you're right. Um, it should go. What? Okay, fine. I'll go look it up. Okay. Uh, well, well, we're, we're talking here. <laughs> well, so, uh, so, so, what was it about? Okay, the music obviously grabbed you, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's another element to Judas Priest that can't be overlooked, and that is, that is, yeah, the, the style mm-hmm. that they came to. To basically define, especially for the heavy metal of the 1980s, was that Mm -hmm. something that was appealing to you as well as the music? I mean, when you would pick up an album cover, whether it be British Steel or Painkiller, the guys would be decked out in a uniform that was all their own. Mm -hmm. It was. To me, I took the music... As it was, I was mostly getting it through like secondhand, and a few. I bought a few CDs and or tapes back in the day too, but I never saw them live. So to me, their actual look never mattered. To me, it was purely the music. That's what I really got from them, and a little bit from the uh, covers, I suppose. But their look for me never really uh, wasn't part of it. Not for me anyway. By the way, it goes rock and roll in '74, sad, sad wings of destiny. destiny. In 76, yep. Sin After Sin in 77. That's when I couldn't remember. Stained Class in 78. Is yeah, it Point of Entry before that? Point of Entry is 81. Oh, okay. After British Steel. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. And Screaming for Vengeance, 
Defenders of the Faith, Turbo, Ram It Down, Painkiller, Jugulator, Demolition, and then, yeah, they did a couple more in the 2000s, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't really care much for. I actually really liked their, 80, their 70s, 80s stuff is the stuff I really enjoyed. The last couple that they did was uh, Nostradamus and yes. uh, Angel of Retribution. Yes. I thought it was interesting. Halford came back and they went back to like their 70s sound. Oh, okay. Should I should give it a listen. Like that sounds a lot like their earlier albums, like before mm. the before they they really caught on. Dom, were you as interested in their in their style? So you know the use of leather and chains and and, and very much you know going for the 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 motorcycle look. Was that <laughs> something that was you know appealing to you? And just in terms of them them being more outlandish than any other band that you had. Um, you had been listening to up to that point? Um, well, again, it's hard to be more outlandish than Arthur Brown. He used to set himself on fire. That's true. Yeah, Um, you're right. You're right about that. For me, it was mostly just the music. Um, I do remember, because I had uh, Doken Towers, the two of my bestest friends ever, Rob knows them, Mm -hmm. that we started hanging out in high school, and they were big into all kinds of music, and that was where I got exposed to a lot of this stuff. I remember being at Towers's and your early mid eighties Judas Priest really stood out to me because that was when hair metal was catching on and like those guys aren't pretty like everybody else. Mm. Well, why don't we why don't we talk about the reputation that heavy metal has or had mm-hmm. and and perhaps still has today? Is is that something that you in in embraced back in the day when you discovered Judas Priest and is that something you uh you still embrace today oh, the for, reputation that 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 metal had back in back in the uh early 80s and uh, up to the present well oh yeah cuz i remember uh i remember the PMRC hearings mm-hmm. and seeing uh D Schneider sticking up and and listening to that and thinking that guy is exactly right. And that was kind of the thing that started making me more curious about some of that sort of thing. So, Don, um, let's just talk about Black Sabbath a little bit. Because okay. um, you mentioned that Judas Priest was uh, was one of the your first entry points to into heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about when you discovered Judas Priest, how you discovered them, and, and what kind of an impact they, they had on you. Um, when I started listening to, to different things, like I lucked out and I come from a family that takes their music very seriously as fans, like a lot of them play, but not professionally. And I remember when I was looking for, for new stuff, I was just going through my mother's record collection and that was where I found all of this. And at one point she had picked up some Judas Priest and I remember listening to it and thinking that, yeah, it was similar to the stuff that I already liked, but it had a little bit more bite to it. Okay, and and but but about but Sabbath, where 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 do they enter? Where do they enter into your your uh, your musical discoveries? I got that into them a little oddly enough, a little later on, mm-hmm. and and that was my my aunt Kitty was another one takes her music seriously, and she was big into like the uh, like the psychedelic rock, the acid rock. The, the heavier stuff from from like the 70s and that 
and going through her records, I found a lot of Black Sabbath. And again, I think again, it appealed to me because it had, they would sing about these weird, heavy topics and their songs were, were stories. Mm -hmm. And that appealed to me because it gave them a little more substance than say the kind of pop music you usually hear on the radio. But, but do you not, what was it, was the music then similar in, in, in sound then to what you had been exposed to, um, from, from Judas Priest or so were, were, did you see Black Sabbath as continuing a legacy that, that, that it's been started with Judas Priest or did you, were you aware, were you aware that, that they were, um, pioneers that, Judas Priest had been influenced by and inspired by? Well, I think I came in, like I say, I came into it backwards. And mm. I think the, the thing that struck me about uh, about Black Sabbath, this will probably sound weird, is they sound like the evil alternate universe version of the Moody Blues. Okay. How so? I think it's because they, again, they they came from a similar musical tradition and they had a lot of the same... I guess underlying structure to the sounds, but because mm-hmm. because they played everything, um, they played everything odd, and I th- seem to recall that was because of an accident. Okay, that Tony. Well, why, Iommi, what did what oh. did you think was odd about them, Don? Because it's it's the the I'm trying to think of a because I'm not a music guy. I don't know the technical terms for anything. Mm-hmm. But w- when you listen to them, they had that psychedelic sound. But it almost sounds like they're playing it backwards. Okay, that's understandable. Yeah. Because well, they're using that jerky note progression kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, I mean, there's, uh, on, on Paranoid, there's tracks like Fairies Wear Boots, which, which are about, you know, the downside to, uh, to drug taking. So, I mean, <laughs> that, even that song is, is very psychedelic. In yeah. nature, very woozy, and um, so you know they Sabbath was absolutely coming out of of the psychedelic era, and and very much influenced by the Beatles, by uh, the Jefferson Airplane, by mm-hmm. by the whole um, psychedelic movement that that um, that emerged in the, the mid to late sixties. So I mean yeah. that's a that's a fair point, Don. Mm-hmm. That for it, you to feel, do you feel to feel that the music was slightly like, as you say, an odder version of of the Moody Blues? Yeah, and they, they did the thing. What uh, what I like because I've mentioned it on a couple of shows, kind of in passing. But where I live here in Windsor, it's what you'd get if cyberpunk happened in the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. So we've always had this kind of like dark, dingy kind of side to things. And as a kid, I kind of grew up aware of that. And when you listen to something like Sabbath, they were willing to bring that in. And I thought of that because when you, when you think of a song like, say, Fairies Wear Boots, and they're talking about the downside of, of you know, the, the, the go-go rock and roll lifestyle. And you had bands who were talking about the upside. Or you get a song like War Pigs, which is the same themes. Like, in the day, everybody is like, peace and love, man. But... There's this other side to that whole thing. Like, you can say that war is bad, we shouldn't do it. But they were more willing to go into the darker places to make their point, And that kind of felt more genuine to me. 
Well, it's interesting you make the reference, Don, to to Windsor being very much like a a cyberpunk landscape. I mean, <laughs> Bl- Black Sabbath are are were a working class band. They were mm-hmm. they were working class uh, guys who basically escaped from um, a you know a, a potential bleak working class. Uh, existence. Birmingham is is a uh, a former industrial uh, city. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of like the like Hamilton, Ontario used to be. <laughs> so, yeah. and it's it's in the middle of nowhere. It's it's very, and it's it's known as a really really tough tough town. So, it's a it, you know if the if the music sounds tough if the the lyrics sound dark and depressing. I'm not, I'm not saying that geography and and music have any kind of literal connection to it. They they would say they would say where the our our music did reflect where we came from, what mm. where we came from, and it it you know um, I think it's either Geezer Butler or Bill Ward has called their music not heavy metal but downer music. <laughs> like openly, openly called it like downer music. It's not. It's you know we have you know there's a new genre like doom metal, but mm-hmm. they they never saw themselves as heavy metal. It was it was more mm-hmm. uh, as they said downer rock because it it was uh, depressing. And then of course you know the the name was guaranteed to offend. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know the the opening. You know, again, as I said, taking taking the cues from, you know, from the Hammer movies and you know Dennis Wheatley novels and you know the Wicker Man and and so on. And they and and in Geezer Butler uh, acknowledges that, like his his you know he was a big fan of the of Dennis Wheatley novels and they were all big fans of the of the uh, of the Hammer movies. So. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what was popular in England when they were growing up, right? And even yep. when they were in the 60s and 70s, Hammer was like the thing. It was a little bit counterculture. It was a little bit uh, naughty in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, and it was also something that appealed to the new young generation of the time. Ab- absolutely. So, Rob, when did you discover Black Sabbath and what kind of an impact did, did, you, did it have on you? And... Oh, boy. Um <laughs> That would be tricky. Um, again, I probably discovered Sabbath really as a band through um, Don's uh, tape collection. Don's tape collection introduced me to a lot of music. That was one of the things I got out of our friendship when we when we first met back in the day. I've never, in all honesty, been a big Black Sabbath fan. <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I know. Sorry, guys. It's it's the it's an actual truth. I mean, I appreciate some of their stuff, like War Pigs, for example. I've often, you know, that's. That's a great song. War Pigs is a great song. Um, the original Iron Man um, song. Um, what else? What other great... I'm trying to think of what else what? from the... But Sabbath themselves, to me, are not. didn't have that appeal. And I think that's... Part of that is because I, unlike Dawn, come from London, Ontario, which is a, you know, <laughs> a middle-class uh, white bread town. So while um, well, you know, while Don may compare Windsor to uh, you know cyberpunk 
um, you know, n- you know, Detroit Night City there. <laughs> um, London is more on the lines of a. Um, what would be a better way to describe it? Here, okay, I'll, I'll use this is a, okay. I'll use the proper terms. Windsor is closer to uh, Gotham City, but London is more like Metropolis, where okay. it's more like uh, more like you know things are brighter. Everyone's like you know you know has their little um, white picket fences. Everything's kind of more happy here. I mean, London's not a perfect place by any means, but it's a slightly more affluent, more middle class town. Or city, because it is a city. Mm-hmm. And so as an end result, for me, the music has a different resonance. Like, And that's probably why the um, the stuff that, by Black Sabbath didn't really appeal to me. And even some of Judas Priest, when we're talking about their stuff that's a little more, shall we say, you know, a little more dirty, a little more gritty, that's not the stuff that I fell in love with out of Priest. The, the, the Priest stuff I tend to fall in love with was, like I said, stuff that I thought would make a good soundtrack for action movies and such hmm. at the time. And so it's part of the difference of perspectives, I guess, that uh, between Don and I. Um, and um, so that's why, yeah, Sabbath is not my metal band of choice. They're not bad. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about them at all. Um, but Sabbath is not the one that I... Would, would, it's not my go-to metal band, let's put it that way. Well, that's fair enough. That's, um, that, that's fair enough. If you want to go to a metal band for me anyway, we should talk about the one that hasn't been introduced yet, but maybe we were saving the best for last. Okay. And that, of course, would be Iron Maiden. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, so, so let's talk about a little bit of Iron Maiden. Now, it, it, should we do a little bit of background in terms of where they fit in the timeline of heavy metal? We, we might as well. So, okay, so where does Iron Maiden pop up, Richard? Well, okay, Iron Maiden, first of all, they they... You can't talk about Iron Maiden until you start talking about a band that we were probably going to get to, but we should talk about before we get to okay, sure. Iron Maiden, which is Motorhead. Oh, okay. Okay. So Motorhead are the band that act as a trans, a perfect transition uh, group between Judas Priest and... Um, and Iron Maiden. So Ooh. Judas Priest were around before um, Motorhead and were still going after, uh, still going when Judas Priest became popular and, of course, when Iron Maiden took off. And Motorhead is, are really important because they are the band that brought the punks and the meddlers together. So I, I mm-hmm. so we first of all we got to remember that that Motorhead started in 1975, and for many people they were a punk band. For some people they were a metal band. I I remember going um, when I was a punk. Uh, I had lots of friends who were hated heavy metal, mm-hmm. uh, but loved Motorhead. Um, so Motorhead. Fast, loud, stripped down, economical, hard driving, power trio uh, music. So indebted as much to the Who, indebted as much to Cream, but but the tempo is been cranked up exponentially, influenced mm-hmm. by the Sex Pistols, by the Clash, by the emerging. Punk scene. You got to remember, Motorhead starts in '75. Punk in the UK 
punk in the UK starts in 76 punk in mm-hmm. America, you know, television and dead boys is 74, 70, 75. So, um, you know, that motorhead again, they, they're focused on speed, they're focused on economy and they're focused on, um, keeping the music short, sharp, sharp, short, sharp and shock cue from pink floyd you know you cut out all the needless guitar solos you cut out all the needless drum solos you don't you just as you're saying rob make it high energy high impact Mm -hmm. music that's where iron maiden comes from so iron maiden takes the storytelling Mm. and um the the folk elements that you associate with Black Sabbath. So Black Sabbath being kind of electric, electric folk musicians telling, mm. telling stories, telling stories that, you know, go back to Poe, go back to Dennis Wheatley, go back to uh, Algernon Blackwood, you know, go mm. back to, um, go back to Mary Shelley, go back to Bram, Bram Stoker. But are all, are also, uh, you know, Iron Maiden is also influenced by mm. British history, the lore and yeah. legacy of British history. So you Absolutely. take the take the sound of of Motorhead, mm. take the the lyric and storytelling of progressive rock, because Steve Harris was a huge prog rock fan, mm-hmm. and take the power and guitar playing of of zeppelin and deep purple and you've got and and you've got iron maiden um and the other thing about iron maiden is they wrote the the important thing is and this is where they deviate from black sabbath this is where they Mm -hmm. deviate from motorhead but they share uh, a connection to judas priest catchable hummable pop hooks yeah big fat choruses so when you hear run to the hills Mm -hmm. you can sing that at the top of your lungs (laughs) you sing living after midnight breaking the law the choruses are are built in and now iron maiden of course a part of what was was called then the um new wave of british heavy metal so bands Mm -hmm. like saxon and and Def Leppard, and, and of course, Judas Priest wrote those coattails, and Motorhead was included in that, but Motorhead were outside of that. Motorhead, mm-hmm. I always thought, were more, were closer to hard rock and mm-hmm. and, and to, to, to hardcore punk. That's the other thing mm-hmm. to think about with heavy, Motorhead. They became one of the key bands um, allied with the, the hardcore punk movement from, from which, you know, you get thrash metal too so mm-hmm. hardcore punk and 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 um so punk rock and hardcore punk sort of merge after the uh new wave of british heavy metal w- hmm. huh. with bands like you know metallica and, and slayer who were who were big fans of punk post-punk and as well as some of the old the old old school bands yeah so hmm. um but let me let me first of all before we go to Iron Maiden, Rob and and mm-hmm. and Don, were you Motorhead fans? 
No. Okay, that's a really, that's one of the shortest answers you've given on any question I've ever asked you, Rob. Yeah, exactly. And we've known each other a while, Richard. But the answer is just no. I've never been a Motorhead fan. I think I've heard a few of their songs, but it just never caught with me. I just... I, I literally know almost nothing about Motorhead. I know oh. very, the absolute minimum you can get away with knowing and still like metal, basically. And it's because they just never... Maybe at some point I'll listen, I'll give them a second chance and maybe they'll catch. But so far in my life, no, Motorhead's not been my thing. How about you, Don? Um, I kind of discovered them again, like, later on, like past mm-hmm. when their, their inception. And I never minded. I can't say I'm a big fan but I don't mind them. Like they're they're good driving music, depending mm. on how you drive. <laughs> I can see that. Um, so so sorry, Richard. The answer so, so is well, no. Uh, okay, no, no, that's fine. So let's then let's go to, to. Well, hold on. Let's turn this around for a second. So, Richard, are oh. you a big Motorhead fan? Oh, massive Motorhead fan. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> okay, why? Massive why Motorhead are you? Fan. Why? Why are you a massive uh, Motorhead okay. fan? Let, let me let me. So let me answer your Motorhead question with answering. Um, my Black Sabbath question. So, mm-hmm. um, because I think those two were are, are, are tied intrinsically. So, mm-hmm. I grew up as a hard rock fan. So I grew up as a prog rock, prog rock and hard rock fan. So I had three Led Zeppelin T-shirts before the age <laughs> of thirteen. Um, so I mean, Zeppelin were when I was ten, eleven, twelve. Led Zeppelin were my band. Um, you know, I grew up with Prog Rock, Genesis, Emerson Lake Palmer, King hmm. Crimson, and yes, so between about the ages of about 12 and about 15. Um, and uh, so Prog, Prog Rock and Hard Rock were, were, uh, were my music. Now, the interesting thing about Black Sabbath is, and this is, uh, this is a, a, a point that, tends to upset a lot of people black sabbath were the loser band of the early 1970s so Hmm. when you were growing up in the 1970s the one band that all the cool people agreed on was a loser band were black sabbath so all when i was in high school and i was in i was before i was in middle school and then i was in high school all the real losers and listen to Black Sabbath. Now I pointed this out to my to my students, all my metal students who get really <laughs> deeply upset. And then I tell them, go and look it up. Like go and look it up. And they come back and they say, okay, sir, you're actually right. So <laughs> the stigma there was always a stigma attached to Black Sabbath. First of all, the music wasn't as complex. It was very mm-hmm. rudimentary. Um, the subject matter, people were like, okay, really? Like, you're singing about Satan? You're singing about children of the, of the grave? Really? Mm. And, and so there was, a, there was a lack of sophistication in their music if you were a prog rock fan. And they weren't as, they weren't as heavy um, and it's technically as proficient as a band like, like Zeppelin. So... I, I inadvertently found out about Black Sabbath basically by hanging out with people who were not cool. And, and I realized that this was a music that I was missing. So I probably didn't get into Black Sabbath until I was probably about 15, 
16, just almost just before I discovered punk. And then I got really into Black Sabbath, actually through hardcore punk, Chicago, uh, um, Los Angeles, hardcore punk. So the, a lot of the, in, in the, in the mid eighties, a lot of the hardcore punk and indie rock bands were really getting into, to black Sabbath, like mid period black flag albums or very black Sabbath. Like, and so I was like, maybe I missed the boat, like hmm. back, <laughs> back in the day. And I went back and started listening to them seriously. And then one of the other things that you, in the mid eighties, one of the real ways of turning people off period, whether they were, you know, if they were listening to REM, which who I'm a oh. big fan of, who I'm a big fan of, I was a big fan of at the time, you know, you would put on a Sabbath album, you could clear the room. <laughs> you, know, like, you go, Black Sabbath, oh no, what's this person like? Um, um, and, and Motorhead the same way. Motorhead mm. were loud, they were dirty, uh, they were smelly. The first time I saw them was at the Coliseum, at the CNE. Just after the Royal Winter Fair, um, the concerts on on uh, on YouTube, um, and they were loud as heck, and it smelled like crazy. <laughs> the last time I saw them was two thousand, and I'm going to get this wrong. Was it two thousand and thirteen, or two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, at Downsview Park, uh, heavy Toronto. It had rained for 48 hours straight. They had wow. not put any straw. My work boots, <laughs> my work, my hiking boots were clogged wow. with mud. I mean, we, we were, my son and I were in this morass of mud. And there was no place to sit except these little islands of grass. And it started to rain, and Motorhead came on, and it was just a glorious convergence of <laughs> of rain and mud and lemmy. And I thought, you know, like if it was this was like twenty years after the first time I saw them, and I thought, you know, what else could you like? It was dirty, <laughs> smelly mess mm. music and the the weather was dirty and it was messy and miserable i thought and it you know just these con convergence of uh uh of factors now what i would say to that is iron maiden mm. iron maiden are euphoric they're aspirational i they mean are, absolutely. i mean that's why i know, love them um you know iron maiden uh, motorhead you want to be in a dang dark place <laughs> You know, you it, it's whereas Iron Maiden, the first time I saw Iron, Iron Maiden was in front of was was in front of a hundred thousand people, all you know, singing at the same time, and I was just like, where else could they be? Like they they were not a you know, I never associated Iron Maiden with being, uh, um, you know, a club band. So, mm. you know, yeah, you know, um, you they know, belong like, in front of a huge crowd. That's where they belong. Yeah, it's the most so, natural thing in the world. Yeah, so. Talk to me about your love of, of, of Iron Maiden. Talk to me about what is the music, the mm -hmm. storytelling, and the imagery. Well, I think I can cover it pretty simply. I mean, you've already said about how they're, they're a euphoric band. And I guess also, 
they're a very uh, smart band. Mm. Like, I mean, they're they're smart storytellers, and that's something that I appreciate. I mean, let's look just to give an example, since our listeners may or may not be familiar with them. Let's look at a simple one of their albums, uh, Power Slave, since it's one of my favorites. Why not look at Power Slave for a moment? So, just quick, let's do a quick rundown here. Okay, so first we got the first song, Aces High. What did it? What is it? It's a song about what it's like to be in the Battle of Britain as a Spitfire pilot. It's written from the Spitfire pilot's point of view. There we go. The second song, uh, Two Minutes to Midnight, is about the threat of nuclear war that they were under. Um, this album came out in 80, 84, when, when the Cold War was still going on. And so they're talking about the threat of nuclear war and the situation and what could happen and what might happen. Um, next, we've got uh, Flash of the Blade, which, if I remember right, Flash of the Blade if, is the one about, uh, is that the one? That, no, Miyamoto Musashi's Sun and Steel. Yeah. Flash, what's Flash of the Blade about, Don? You should know. Um, crap. Oh, I forget, because I think it's, a, it's another, like... Uh... It's a, it, they're story songs about duelists. And the, well, the one that come after it is The Duelists, yeah. which is about two medieval guys dueling with each other. But Flash of the Blade is, I think it's one about... Oh, my God, I'm going to lose my Iron Maiden <laughs> credibility here. You look that up. Okay, I'll keep going. So then we've got Back in the Village, which is, of course, about the classic uh, TV series The Prisoner. Yeah. And which is talking about, you know, someone ending up in the village, you know, um, and be, well, actually, it's a song about freedom, basically, about uh, someone being involved with a uh, bad relationship and where they're going back in again. But again, it's a story <laughs> song. We've got Power Slave, which is an amazing song about a Egyptian pharaoh who literally discovers that, oh, by the way, even though we've called you a god your whole life, you're not really immortal. You're just another guy. Hmm. And his, re- and his realization of that as he's dying, and it's told from a first-person point of view, is there any other form of music, like, literally out there, where you're going to get that? Yeah. I mean, really, is there, or, or these songs put together on a single album, and they finish off with their version of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, for God's sake. <laughs> Which is very long, at almost 14 minutes long, but it's, it, and you, know, you don't get more literary than that. Yeah. I mean... Power Slaves could exist, and most of their albums, at least of that period, are like that. They're based in history. They're based in storytelling. They're based in um, imagination and mythology. There's some science fiction elements sometimes to them, or fan fantasy elements to them, and they are glorious. There's no other way to describe it, and they're <laughs> just incredibly catchy and fun to listen to as well. Nice. So, I mean, they are without a doubt my favorite metal band exactly because of that. What about you, Don? Oh, I, I kind of agree, because my thing, uh, when it comes to the entertainment I seek out, I always look for things that give me what my normal life doesn't. So I like depth and complexity and surprise and meaning and intellect and flavor and texture, because that's everything I don't get in life. <laughs> and and, I know how, that's does, how, and how, does, how does that how does Iron Maiden fulfill that for you? Well, it's it's like Rob says, because you've got these stories, and they've got uh, one of the things I like about Maiden, and uh, for myself, probably my preferred type of music in general would be what comes kind of later from the Iron Maiden tradition, would be like your power metal or your mm. symph- symphonic metal. And it's those build-ups. Like, like a Maiden song, it builds to something. It starts slow, it drags you in, and then just like... 
all hell breaks loose with the lyrics mm-hmm. and the music, and it takes you somewhere. And when you get to the end, there's like a feeling, like the story's done, and there's there's a conclusion, good or bad, because they don't always end well. So do you, so do you appreciate? Well, first of all, one of the things to talk about when it comes to Iron Maiden is is the fact that they write melodic, catchy songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could play those songs on an acoustic guitar or mm-hmm. on a piano, and they would they would you would still be able to to have uh, interpretations that would yes. be rec- be recognizable, unlike. And YouTube is filled with them, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. I, that of that I was I wasn't aware. So yep. is and that Don. So is your love of Iron Maiden tied to the fact that it it is much there is a a symphonic anthemic element that comes that, that is a, a part of their part of their um, part just part and parcel of their sound. I think that's part of it, but it's it's not just that they they've they've got like the 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 catch the hook the meter it's that they can have that with all the other things that are going on in the song musically hmm. that True. M- musically their stuff is very complex but it doesn't sound that way because it's all tied in together and it's all kind of moving in the same direction well the interesting thing about that's also that doesn't get mentioned about a lot about um, Iron Maiden is that their two two of their favorite bands are one is of course Thin Thin Lizzy, mm-hmm. um, and the other one is a band called Wishbone Ash. Now Wishbone Ash and Thin Lizzy are important because they were the two bands that pioneered the twin lead attack that of course Judas Priest um, based their sound around, and of course mm-hmm. the the sound of of Iron Maiden is based around that twin lead guitar attack, or in the case now with uh, three lead guitar attack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, of course, there, there were bands. Now, in the UK, Wishbone Ash and, and um, Thin Lizzy were, of course, taking developed that that twin lead guitar attack. And of course, that in America, bands like um, like the Almond Brothers and, and Leonard Skinner and the Outlaws were doing that in uh, in country rock. So you know that. They're a band that's symphonic. They're a band that mm-hmm. has got prog rock elements. Band that's got folk elements to it, and a band that's is much influ- as I said, much influenced by by Motorhead as they are by Sabbath, as they are by by Yes or by nineteenth um, hmm. century mm-hmm. romantic literature. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they've yeah. got it all. They really do, and yeah. so that's that's one of the reasons why I, I love Iron Maiden stuff. So let me let me let me add in a little bit of um, discordance into the uh, okay, go <laughs> into the podcast. Now, at around that same time, Rob, there was mm-hmm. a, a a group of bands that sometimes Iron Maiden got lumped in with, and sometimes mm-hmm. they didn't, and that were those were the glam metal bands mm. of of the nineteen right? eighties. So the poisons, the motley, the mm-hmm. motley crews, the the Bon Jovi's. Mm-hmm. Now they get lumped in as heavy metal bands, whether you like it or not. Where do they fit yeah. in on your uh, on your musical timeline? 
Um, well, to answer your question, I mean, I actually came to them later. Like, of course, as a child of the 80s, I was very aware of uh, Bon Jovi. Um, I would hear Bon Jovi and Poison and Motley Crue. I would hear them on the radio. Like, I listened to mostly Top 40 radio, and they made the Top 40. And so as an end result, I heard them, but I always considered them more of uh, hard rock. Like, I never viewed them as metal bands. Uh, I mean, I did listen to them a bit you know, on the radio when I was uh, uh, when I was a high school student, but I, they weren't something that I sought out or anything like that. But I enjoyed them. I, I mean, you know, I was a big Bon Jovi fan for a while there. But again, that would come after I got into metal and such, not before. I wasn't a big music guy when I was in high school, really. Um, unlike mm-hmm. Don. Don, did you have so, an affection for for the, those glam metal bands, or did you did you react against them? Um, it's interesting you mention that because I can remember, like up until like the mid '80s, that's what people thought heavy metal was. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. that, at, and at the time too, Judas Priest. At that point, a lot of people were considering them hard rock. Which is why sometimes I think it's it's best not to get wrapped around the axle with the lexicons. But I wasn't a big hair metal guy. I gotta say, I do kind of like Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. But it's because the themes in that, for a lot of the songs they wrote, they weren't just party rock. They they wrote some of these like weird little stories. And they had a lot of songs about like weird characters. And and a lot of that appealed to me because, again, it fit in with um, with other stuff that I enjoyed. Okay. Um, every action has an equal, equal and opposite reaction. We all, we all know that from physics. So were <laughs> you then fans of the subgenre that reacted against glam metal, the, the thrash metal of, of oh. bands like, like Slayer or, or Metallica? Um, for myself, I was never a Slayer fan. I did like Metallica, though. Metallica did some good stuff. But I'm afraid, you know, I'm mostly just familiar with their, like, Enter Sandman and such, mm-hmm. their most famous stuff. Which, again, their more melodic stuff I tended to like, but not the stuff that was more discordant. Or discordant. Hmm. You never, you never, be you've best. never been a shredder? <laughs> no. I never got into thrash metal, never got into... My line is entirely melodic metal. Okay, that's that's entirely where where I am as far as um, metal goes. Hmm. The so the so death metal things like that never appealed to me. Okay. Never has, probably never Don? will. Uh, when you get to like the thrash guys, that's another one of the genres I kind of pick and choose who I like. Like Metallica hmm. wasn't bad. Um, when we were in high school, our cruising song was "I'm the Man" by uh, Anthrax. Yeah, Anthrax is okay. And they're one, they're one of the ones that they kind of start thrash and then they go sort of other places. But they weren't... There was a few from that, that era that I didn't think was too bad. Because it's like, interesting. That that was a time when, when you know, thrash metal was... They, they, were, they were the... You know, that, that was very much underground yeah. music. I mean, they were, you know, mi- mixing hardcore punk with... Um, you know, I mean, at one point it was called speed metal, then it became yeah. thrash metal. Um, you know, it's it's people forget that bands like Metallica and Exodus and 
uh, and Slayer and, and Megadeth, we're very much on on part of the underground music community. You know, yeah. if, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to say they were indie rock, but they, <laughs> there, there, there was, you know, it wasn't until '86 with, you know, Master Puppets went top forty, and then, you know, Justice for All went number six on the charts, and, and yeah. And then Anthrax and Meg- Megadeth that same year had um, hits, and it's it, it you know, and it only Slayer has been there, has been the one band that has not, you know, I don't think crossed over into the into the Billboard charts as in a way that those other bands have. That's true. Mm. When you think about it, yeah. Hmm. Um, That's true. Any of the so death metal, black metal. And none, none of the extreme, other extreme versions, the these Scandinavian metal bands from Sweden or Norway, none of those bands have ever, or or even from Florida, have never had any, <laughs> any, any, you know, the you know the bands from. Well, remember the the whole death metal comes from Florida, it comes from from you know bands like Death and DSI and Obituary, um, those 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 bands that you know share more of uh a lyrical association with black sabbath but you know integrating you know slasher um slasher movie violence as opposed to hammer movie hammer movie violence Uh, right um, yeah um Mm -hmm. those never had any appeal for you for you two not really no i mean it just i part of the problem is is that they those uh, forms of metal also came kind of after my like you say my intro to metal period you know when I was into it in the nineties so a lot of that stuff I know that some of that stuff is nineties stuff but I was getting into the eighties stuff during the nineties I'm a little <laughs> late that way um, and so by the time I would have gotten around to them I wasn't really listening to as much metal or music at that point i guess you could say my interest had gone in other directions so as an end result i didn't really yeah i never got into the to that stuff plus as i said my interest in metal is almost entirely melodic like i would be rather listen to stuff like who else nightwish for example or blind guardian um even man of war for example um there's stuff that's more that tends to be more on the melodic side mm-hmm. and I guess it's because I do appreciate the complexity of the rhythms and everything as well. Hmm. Rob, what is it? What is the appeal for you of of the symphonic European metal bands like Blind Guardian, like Nightwish, um, and like Opeth? Why do? You, what is it about their their style of music? Well, I that think has for, for most you? of them, they're still following the the line i guess of iron maiden i mean again they come out of iron they for me anyway they may not literally in lineage terms come out of iron maiden but they have that in common right they're still storytelling bands a nightwish song is as much a story as any iron maiden song is um the same with like blind guardian blind guardian are so uh, also Blind Guardian is another good example to what we're what I was talking about earlier. They're a whole metal band that basically exists pretty much to just produce stuff that's right out of fantasy novels. I mean, every one of their songs is pretty much about magic or wizards or warriors or something like that. Um, Nightwish does a little bit of that too. So going right back into it, 
uh, to the whole nerdy aspect, yeah, there's they are types of uh, they are bands that are definitely involved with the more geeky nerdy culture in a lot of ways, and they're drawing from that. And so even their lyrics and their ideas in that are stuff that resonate more with me because they're connected to stuff I'm interested in. Uh, and um, just to continue that on, even Manowar, which is a slightly different style, but is still very melodic, and is basically if Conan the Barbarian had a <laughs> um, had his own metal band, it would be Manowar. Yeah, that's literally the only way to describe him. Yeah, I gotta kind of agree with Rob. Uh, one yeah. of the things that I do whenever I write stuff is I like to find theme songs for for the characters because it's another way to think through. And I find a lot of the stuff that I write, the theme songs that seem to fit the characters, come from that tradition. They come more from like the European power metal kind of thing. What would it? What? Why? What specific themes? And and why did this music spark these specific? Well, I think themes it's it's the idea that yeah, that they're almost all of the songs are a story. They're like little mini operas with like a beginning and end. A lot of them don't end well. Uh, I think, mm. and again, that appeals to me because you don't see that in a lot of entertainment. You don't see a hero that's doomed and and truly knows it, or a hero that has to fight a fight they can't win. And those are themes that come up a lot in in like the power metal and the 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 more symphonic metal, like the stories for the songs. And I think, like I say, I find that it's refreshing. Um, it rings true. And if you've got a hero who knows they're doomed and goes into the fight anyway, like, to me, that's more heroic than most action movies where, okay, this guy's already kicked the ass of 50 guys. He can't think this other guy's going to be a challenge. And neither should the audience. So. Mm. Definitely. Don, you mentioned that that the... um, We've mentioned Mm -hmm. this a couple of times. The symphonic element... Uh, that you find in bands like Blind Guardian or um, mm-hmm. or in a band like Opeth, Nightwish, mm-hmm. or, or our Nightwish, and 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 mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Nightwish, sorry, Nightwish, um, and that's an element that that, that clearly separates a lot, many of the American bands or North American bands yeah. from from the European mm-hmm. bands is the influence of. of 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 classical music and and we all know of many of the the European um, band members um, studied Class, um, classical music mm-hmm. uh, classical music and and went through conservatory or or or, or played in, uh, in orchestras and groups in in grade school and a high school which makes their music a lot more melodic is. Is that important to you that there that there is a, a technical virtuosity to the music that that comes via their them being influenced by European classical composers like Bach or Vivaldi or and, which can be found in their guitar playing or in yeah. their in, in I don't their, think for uh, me it's or... exactly that that's something that's important because I like a lot of like the the, the down and dirty stripped down kind of bands too. But I think, like I say, I like big. And if you're fielding an orchestra and you're getting them all working together, that just by its nature is going to be bigger. It's going to feel mm. bigger. It's going to sound bigger. And like I say, I don't get that in life. Life for me is very small. So that I find oddly empowering kind of thing. Hmm. I can see that. 
Well, it's it's funny about the influence of of, of the European classical composers on uh-huh. a lot of those European symphonic metal bands. Um, there's a there's a video by um, that I showed in my history of Western music course by a. a I think they're from Norway oh, or okay. Sweden. Mm-hmm. Children of Bodom. And they're and they're doing the two guitar players are doing <laughs> mm-hmm. Vivaldi's water music on twin lead guitars. And they're and it's mm-hmm. it's bang bang on. Like they you can tell they didn't just proc the song so they could show it off. They you could tell that they actually knew how mm-hmm. how the, uh to play that play that uh that piece of music. The other thing I was gonna ask um, touch on guys is the, <laughs> mm-hmm. is the tritone which of course you know we can tie that back to the the, the monks of the uh, of the middle ages who uh, were deeply disturbed by um, <laughs> by that chord progression or by those the, the, those that phrasing has it is there been the myth and lore attached to that, uh, to the metal sound. Is that something that's that's always been? Uh, well, hold on a sec, Richard. Let's take a step back here. Um, so our audience probably isn't familiar with what a tritone is, and they don't. They're not quite uh, up on their music history. So why don't we explore that a tiny bit more? Okay. So can you explain in the simplest terms exactly what a tritone is and why that was a big deal? Well, it, it's a it, the tri, the tritone is an interval spanning three tones, such as C and F sharp, and it's a, a forbidden dissonance that um, was first developed in medieval ecclesiastical singing. So the monks <laughs> called it Theopolis and music. Why would they the do that? Why would they music. call it the devil in music? What's what's wrong with these musical notes? Well, be, because it because uh, a lot of early medieval music was was very consonant in nature. I mean, it may be drone, very drone based, but it was very harmonic in nature. So when you listen to the voice, voices of, uh, of a, uh, a church choir, it, mm-hmm. it is very smooth. It's very harmonic. It is very consonant in nature. It's, uh, I mean, it's an angelic sound. Well, the tritone is, uh, as an, a dissonant that is out of, that is foreign, and is um, is outside of the the consonant consonants that we associate with um, uh, natural or, or natural progressions right. and harmonies, and um, and you know and harmonic relationships. So, and it. it Heavy metal also used, uses pentatonic, the pentatonic scale, the, mm-hmm. the five-note scale. Um, and that has um, a dissonant mm-hmm. sound to it. Um, so a lot of heavy metal music uses the, the tritone uh, interval. Okay. Um, and they're doing that on purpose as a way to produce something that is dissonant, that is yep. not, that causes um, yes. a reaction yeah. from yeah. the audience. Yeah, well, yeah, and it, it, it's it's a it's a it's as much a part of of, mm-hmm. 
of the blues. I mean, a lot of blues, it does, doesn't necessarily use the tritone, but it does use the pentatonic scale. So the 12 bar blues is comes out of um, the pentatonic scale, which is yeah. naturally more more dissonant. Right. And, and okay. So, so. It, can you uh, give an example where our listeners could actually find like find a good example of this uh, tritone sound? Uh, <laughs> the opening to Black Sabbath. There we go. I, I figured you'd Sabbath. give me an example like that. that yeah. Okay. First, that first, right. that first riff, that <laughs> absolute first riff okay. is the sound of the tritone. And it's a it's a riff that's been <laughs> well, it's been borrowed heavily and to be to be to, in a, right. to be understated and to be polite. It, it's it's a imitation is a sincere form of flattery, and that's that that is one of those progressions that is right. associated with heavy metal, um, and um, and of course one of the great things about it is mm-hmm. um, the myth. And the lore associated with it ties in with heavy metal and mm-hmm. its fundamental rebellion against Christianity, which is something mm-hmm. I'd also like to talk about because I think that also ties into the lore of of mm-hmm. heavy metal being sort of forbidden music. The music, the one of the few musics that parents always, always hated. They may have liked folk, they may have liked rock, they may have liked country rock. But it's one thing. It's one thing for your the, <laughs> for your parents to like the Eagles. It's another thing for your parents. Well, definitely. To like well, Black let's explore Sabbath. that. I mean, why not? Um, so, all right. So, why is it that uh, metal has been for a long time the music that your parents hated? Is that on purpose? Is that like by design? Is that something that was kind of almost part of the marketing? Or why did? Why have they done this? I, I think that the the. the um, I think a lot of these themes, especially for a lot of the hard rock bands, they borrowed, so, <laughs> borrowed or stole or appropriated um, their music and their mm-hmm, subject mm-hmm. matter from the blues. So one of the myths of you know the classic myths mm-hmm. of the blues is Robert Johnson selling his soul right to the devil at the crossroads in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Now, whether that's true or not, it doesn't really matter. But it adds to the you know the supernatural uh, uh, connection between for between music um, and um, right a forbidden power. So um, and so and and I think you know Black Sabbath just by yeah. virtue of their name they had an <laughs> offense mm-hmm. and they had an offensive name. They sang songs that um, dealt with uh, subject matter that was seemed to be right uh, mm-hmm. rebelling against Christianity. So, teenage kids, teenage teenagers want music that has a subject matter that's mm-hmm. going to be offensive <laughs> to all concerned who who may of be course. older than they are. And, um, and and it has a grittier, doomier, uh, more psychedelic sound, um, and 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 a subject mm-hmm. matter that that fits the music. And 
uh, that's the appeal of heavy metal. Now, the irony of, of Black Sabbath, of course, is that um, their songs were uh, were not um, no. um, mm. Satanist in any way. I mean, Geezer Butler says that these are actually cautionary mm. warning songs. He sa- he says they're not embracing uh, an embrace mm-hmm. of Satanism or of evil. He says actually they are cautionary tales to warn people of the nature of evil, of the nature and power mm-hmm. of of forces beyond right uh, our control. So they, they're labeling as a as a satanic band. Uh, Geezer was like, <laughs> uh, these people haven't listened it, to it, our lyrics. So the sound, the sound, the sound may have that you know that the sound may have sounded, um, you know, for what, lack of a better word, um, yeah, satanic. But the lyrics were hardly their lyrics. Had, lyrics were actually expressing well. The, uh, that's uh, okay, the valid opposite. point. Although I think some of that is still them trying to have it both ways, though. How do you think? How do you, how so, Rob? Well, I think that it's easy to, um, you know, go out on, you know, black, call yourself Black Sabbath, go out on stage and, you know, use every you know, trick in the book to look as satanic as possible and then turn around and to make sure that the kids, you know, think you're edgy and cool and then turn around and suddenly say, oh, no, but look, look at our lyrics. Seriously, they're just a cautionary tale. Oh, no, we're not really satanic or anything like that. Just so that the parents don't like throw them all in jail. No, I, I mean, Ozzy just looked hmm? like that. That that wasn't intentional. <laughs> well, there's that. There, there's definitely that. But yeah, see, I I would disagree, Rob, because I I would say that that they were. You got to remember, they were a band that <laughs> mm-hmm. had no plans at all. I mean, the, the the success of Black Sabbath was was an accident that none mm-hmm. of them ever thought would happen. Whereas a band, if you could say a band like King Diamond that <laughs> that you know has deals with mm-hmm. subject matter from horror movies or Cannibal Corpse, but are clearly influenced yeah. by. Slasher and Gore, Slayer, which are influenced by slasher and, and horror movies, they they have lyrics that are you know are oh yeah guaranteed to offend, guaranteed to uh, to upset, and so you can understand that you know what, what why you know the PMRC when they 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 found uh, many rock lyrics to be uh, offensive you know, dealing with subject matter that they found to be um, indecent would, it would easily find bands like, um, like Slayer or, or Judas Priest or um, to be, to, to, to be hmm. breaching good taste I, and common decency. And, but the... Whereas I think sat where I think Sabbath, Sabbath were an underground mm-hmm. band that, that, became 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 a success i mean that album was recorded was that album was recorded yeah it wasn't very recorded in less less than a week Mm -hmm. was it they basically went in and found a an engineer in in their hometown of of birmingham went in and recorded this record and then suddenly it was top five it was like how the heck that happened so and i think there's also you know the 
they, you know, Beezer Butler's mm -hmm. always, again, talked about his love of Hammer movies and of Dennis Wheatley novels and, and Algernon Blackwood and so on. So there is that, they do share a literary tradition with, that's true. Uh, with That's with true. Iron Maiden, there's a there's a bit of there, there's so they they would say that um, you know those those uh, authors and those movies dealt with uh, a darker side and more well yes but once you should keep in mind also the time they existed in I mean they were super edgy for their day. I mean, you can't, you know, we look at them now and think, okay, well, it's, you know, nice melodic, heavy metal, hard rock or that. But there was a time, especially in the 70s and the early 80s, especially when the whole satanic panic was going on and everything, when they looked at this music and they, they really did take it very seriously, especially, you know, in, especially in middle America and such. They took the whole Satanism thing very, very seriously. Mm. And um, maybe it wasn't planned, as you said, but... You know, they did really sink in with what was going on at the time. And there's no question they were exploring the darker side of things. See, I, I think... and No, go, oh, I was going to say, I think you can split the difference, though. Because I don't think the idea to outright offend was, like, Sabbath's original intent. But I had heard from... Um, there was an interview with another band from that era that's one of my favorites. That was the Blue Oyster Cult. And they mm. were talking to those yes. guys, and they said that where their their subject matter and their songs and their sound came from, which I'm betting is the same with Sabbath and a bunch of other groups from that time, was that you were coming out of the 60s, coming into the 70s, there was all this like folk, happy, peace and love crap, and they were just sick of it. They wanted something different, so they wanted the anger and the hate, and they wanted the, the darker ideas, and they wanted to get more of that, because they were just filled up to the gills with the huggy huggy stuff hmm. well i think that's actually a good point because you don because you can tie in that that black sabbath that album was recorded hmm. just after hmm. the charles manson murders so and and altamont altamont it just happened where uh, uh where somebody was killed mm-hmm uh, at a at the Rolling Stone concert at at the Altmont Speedway north of San Francisco, Charles Manson mm -hmm. had had just killed Sharon Tate, and he and his uh, his his gang had murderous gang had gone on on a rampage. So there's there is a there is an atmosphere at the All Chicago the back, yeah. um, Democratic Convention in '68. The the Vietnam mm -hmm. War is getting uglier by the moment so you could argue don that box Sabbath were definitely reflecting uh the mood mm -hmm. um of yeah the they times. were a product of their era that's true that i believe mm -hmm. hmm. so to you two does metal still have the same impact for you that it had the first time yes. you discovered judas priest uh, yes and no i mean I don't uh, listen to it as much as I did, you know, back when I first discovered it and such, back in my, you know, college days. But um, I think some of that's, though, because I, um, well, I still appreciate it just as much. I don't get quite the same charge out of it. But, of course, that some of that's the whole, like, uh, neurochemistry where, if I, if I remember right, music 
has a stronger effect on you when you're younger because of uh, the way your neurochemistry is set dopamine. up. And as you, yeah, dopamine, there we go. And so as an end result, um, you get a stronger reaction out of it when you're younger because you have more dopamine in your system. And as you get older, you get less out of it. That said, um, if I'm working out, for example, or going for a run or something like that, I have metal on. There's no question about that. I mean, it is the most natural workout music in the world. It just drives you and forces you forward, especially stuff, again, symphonic metal and such. At least that's my take anyway. So, yes, to me, metal at this point is mostly just workout music or occasional. You know, occasionally I'll listen to it on the radio or something. Oh, no, because um, I love all Don't. like music in general. And we, we luck out here in Windsor because we have one of the last decent music stores on earth. And they're always getting strange new stuff. And I'm always digging through looking for strange, strange new stuff. And yeah, I still, I still, I always gotta, gotta have my headphones on my little music player thingy. And yeah, I still get as big a kick out of it. Cause I find there's always, um, metal gets ragged on for having so many subgenres, but I find that makes mm -hmm. it exciting because there's so many people doing so many different things with it. So, so who are hmm. your current favorites? My current favorites? Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be an interesting, interesting mix. I like uh, Within Temptation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw them uh, last. I saw them last year at Heavy yeah, Montreal. The, they were great. Yeah, I like um, Hatebreed. Oh, my son! Yeah, my son. That's one of my <laughs> son's favorite bands. Hatebreed. Oh, in fact, my son listens to. Do you listen to Jasta's uh, podcast? No, I didn't know there was one. Yeah, Jasta, who's the lead singer from Hatebreed, has probably one of the best metal podcasts. And he's oh, interviewed wow. everybody. And in fact, <laughs> last August, when we were at Heavy Montreal, he was just about to go and do a podcast. Because my, uh, my son got to meet Randy Blythe. Mm -hmm. from Lamb of God and and, hmm. and Jasta. And I know Jasta was going to do some podcasts at Heavy huh. Montreal because of all, all the bands there. Yeah, apparently, and he gets, I, I'd have to talk to him, you'd have to talk to my son, but he gets, <laughs> he gets, he gets everybody and they talk at length. So, hey, Breed, yes. Because wow. that's one of the nice things too, I find with um, mm. most of the subgenres, the guys will interact. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, actually, what, that's one of the, the interesting things. We're, I'm off to Heavy Montreal at the beginning of uh, of August again, and I find heavy metal festivals to be very relaxed, very mm -hmm. chilled. Everybody is there to enjoy the music. Everybody's polite. Everybody's courteous. So the stereotypical <laughs> image of of the heavy metaler. Um, <laughs> uh, doesn't doesn't exist at least. At least to the, at the festivals that I've been to, and I've been to, I've been to Mayhem and Phoenix. Wow. I've been to to Wacken in in, in Germany, <laughs> um, and everybody is uh, very polite, very courteous. So mm. the the stereotypical image of of some drunken hellion. Sure, <laughs> there are lots of drunken hellion at metal concerts, but there are lots of drunken hellions in. At, at any kind of musical genre, I mm -hmm. don't think I don't think the the genre yeah, 
I, I think the alcohol, wherever <laughs> there's alcohol, you're going to have drunken hellions, regardless of the musical genre. <laughs> but do you think that's because the, do you think a lot of metal fans are older or like, what's the age mix of these uh, concerts you're going to, these like shows? Eight, 18 to 60. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's a, yeah. You've got, if you go so to, have, a, Rob, if you go to heavy Montreal, they, there is a wide audience. So, so you have those of us who have white hair and the, and then there are those who don't have white hair. I don't have any uh, hair. <laughs> okay, well, there are good. And then, Don, <laughs> there are those of you who don't have any hair. I mean, mm. I, I, we find the, the um, we find the, regardless of of, of the bands, um, we find the experience to be really relaxed, really chilled, as opposed to um, some other music festivals that I've been to that I won't talk about. Well, you know what? You know what I think mm. that is though. Um, when you compare metal to other genres of music, metal tends to be inclusive. Very much so. That's yeah. true. Like, and and mm. that's in the theme. Like, if you listen to, say, pop music, or I know, like, the last crop of rappers and that, it's all, I'm the best, I'm awesome, dig me. Whereas metal tends mm. to be more we, it tends to be more us. It tends to talk about, say, some character that's removed from the singer and the audience, but there's something that we, we can empathize with. Mm, it's true. true. It's true. I, mm. I, 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 I agree. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, most metal bands are all about their fans, and they're really emphatic about yeah. that, about how much they're, how important their fans are to them, and they try to be very connective. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's one of the appeals. They're not just singing about you know what's in it for them, exactly as Don says. Yeah. I think Don, one of the reasons why I, I like metal. Now, I, I like all forms of metal mm -hmm. so i like um i like the symphonic stuff i like the extreme stuff I, I like the old stuff i like the new stuff um i find metal also has um inadvertent connections to other forms of music so mm. there are a lot of so so for instance a lot of extreme metal fans also love um improv jazz so <laughs> um, there's so there, if if you know the music of John Zorn, John Zorn had a a group called Naked City, and John Zorn, free jazz composer, improviser extraordinaire, had a group called Naked City, that that was, um, what was it's film music done by crack jazz musicians. So, um, huh. he would so albums like. Like the first Naked City album, um, like was it 30, 32 songs in forty five minutes? So, but, <laughs> but but I mean, John Zorn's favorite composer is Carl Stallings. So mm -hmm. if you think if you think of what would Carl Stallings would do if he was making extreme hardcore jazz and and death metal, and you have <laughs> Naked Naked City, well, a lot of that is sounds like extreme metal and extreme improv jazz and a, there were there's all been a lot of crossover between mm -hmm. free jazz and um and metal so a lot of um um and the same thing with uh, um genres like like drones so experimental minimalist drone music well you had a band like sun 
who are like doom metal. So one right. one one note every twenty minutes. So taking <laughs> slowing slowing Sabbath down to this this droney atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people who do would never listen to metal who come from more experimental music love mm. love sun or bands like sun or trouble or earth or 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 boris so mm. it's interesting mm. the way that, that that metal as it begins to splinter into subgenres and then sub 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 subgenres <laughs> that it seems to find connections with people who are outside what you would call the traditional metal world yeah yeah, and I don't. I don't hmm. think other music does that. Um, a couple good examples of that. There's a couple dudes on the uh, the YouTube that I follow. One goes by the name of Three Three One E Rock, and one is Frog Leap Studios, and they do metal versions of other songs. Mm-hmm. And if you ever wanted to hear what ABBA would sound like as a thrash metal band, you go to Frog Leap Studios and you'd be amazed because it's like that actually sounds really good. Yes, yes, it does. I know what you mean. And you don't see other genres. Like, it's tough to do something like that with, say, rap or country. Like, it doesn't quite work the same. Mm -hmm. Do you you think metal will always retain its its outsider uh, stance? Do you think it will always always be music for outsiders, regardless of its its flirtations with... with, um, with popularity and and pop flirtations with with uh, the Billboard charts, you know what I think. Well, thinking because I've 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 heard people's answer to that question a lot, but I think in a lot of ways metal is the most subversive kind of music because what you get is you've always got like your core main genres, which I think nowadays are mainstream, but then they sort of branch off. And there's always going to be some genre of metal on the outside, but it's still going to maintain at least a thread to the old school guys on the inside. So in that way, you've got it kind of, you get both sides of the fence kind of thing. Hmm. Rob? I agree with Don. I mean, I think that uh, metal is always going to be there. I mean, it's just simply a, in a lot of ways, I mean, metal is ultimately a more extreme, slightly less um, mainstream version of pop, in a way. I mean, that's kind of how I view it, if you want to take it that way. It's playing with uh, themes and ideas and sounds that don't quite work for the normal uh, popular music audience, but which are still something that a certain audience enjoys. So it will always be there, some version of it anyway. And I think that's probably also why metal actually also appeals, as has just been said, to an outsider audience. And I think that's partly why it connects up again with the whole um, nerdly arts is because many of the people who love the nerdly arts of one form or another, be they comics, movies, whatever, are also people who view themselves as outsiders. That's actually very Mm -hmm. common. As an end result, this is a form of music that speaks to them. And uh, touches them in some way. Yeah, I think you're right that way, Rob. Because it's it's interesting the way that that metal popularity is is you know now truly global. Yeah, um, mm. it, it, I can't remember. Sam Dunn has that um, documentary, Global Metal, and he interviews mm-hmm. um, 
bands from Iran, I think Egypt and Lebanon and Malaysia yeah. and India. And this music, the music they're making is oddly subversive. Uh, mm-hmm. And many of these musicians have been, have been arrested and, and jailed and incarcerated for making a form of music that many people in, in, uh, um, in the West, laugh at and mm. don't take right, it serious yeah. at all. So, I, I mm. think you're I, um, you're noting that it that it still has a subversive element. Um, I think I think you're right. Which, which it does. It absolutely is. Maybe not as much in the West now. I mean, it's kind of alt mainstream in a lot of ways. I mean, here, uh, but. Yeah, in other countries, metal still serves that subversive role. Mm. Um, and I think that, that that's the appeal. That's re- That really is the appeal. I mean, for a lot of people, they want something that's different. They want something subversive, whether it's that young, youthful rebellion thing, or it's just because you want to be exposed to something that's not part of mainstream society. Which All united with their one, one hand gesture of the metal horns. <laughs> Yep, that's true. It's true. true. It's true. When you, you, I, you, you don't. You, I, I. When I've been at metal festivals, I may be speaking a different language than, uh, than those people. You know, when we were at Wacken, there were people from, from Holland. There were people from Poland. There were people from Germany. You, you give them, you give them the the, the horns, and a big smile crosses their face, and <laughs> and, and then you. And then you move on. It just it, mm-hmm. it's there is mm-hmm. a it's as you, Don as you, or Robbie you were saying it's it's uh, it's an inclusive music that is universal and yet uh, yet is in, in some respects still uh, on the on the on the outside of the mainstream. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I guess in some ways actually being a metal fan is both your outside the mainstream but it's also a safe place outside the mainstream oddly Mm -hmm. enough i know that sounds odd for many reasons but the truth is i'm sure people do occasionally get shot at metal concerts and things like that but but nowhere near as much as they do at like rap concerts or things uh or those kind of uh performances i agree agree. so being a metal fan i think is oddly counterculture yet safe Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and i think that that especially appeals to um those interested in the nerdly arts, or those of more introverted people, so how do how, who want something that's a little more? Safe. So how do you tie metal into your love of the nerdly arts? Let's let's kind of wrap this up, guys. Well, how do you, as you guys yeah. <laughs> are, are are lovers of the nerdly arts, how does metal mm-hmm. fit into your your love of the nerdly arts? Don, <laughs> you can go first. Oh, I think the easiest way is because you look at a. Take a band like Judas Priest or Metallica. That's the sound of two giant robots kicking each other's ass. Works for In me. In Judas Priest's uh, case, yeah, they've done actually a few songs about giant robots kicking each other's ass. So there you go. <laughs> yep, that's very true. Let me let me finish uh, with a thought here, Don. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know, um, you're, Don? You're a fan of Blue Oyster Cult, mm-hmm. okay? Do you know who who inspired J.K. Rowling's latest book? No. Blue Oyster Cult. All really, her, yeah. Blue her 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 latest book 
is inspired by songs. Each of the each of the chapters features a, is based around a different song by Blue Oyster Cult. Oh yikes! <laughs> yeah, so I can much see so that, that yeah. my wife said to me, um, "Have you heard all these songs?" And I had to go back. And I'm a huge Blue Oyster Cult fan. I had to go back and look for these deep tracks by <laughs> Blue Oyster Cult. Mm-hmm. I was like, I haven't heard that in a long time. So. <laughs> You know, Harry Potter is as much about, is as much a part of the nerdly arts as, uh, as... Well, it wasn't the Harry Potter book. That would be one of her recent yes. mysteries is John yes. Galbraith, yeah. right? Yeah. I can do you one nerdly better, okay. though. Uh, Don, tell him about the uh, Defenders comic. Oh, yeah. There's uh, two issues of uh, Marvel's Defenders comic from uh, late 70s that it, the, the story's called The Revenge of Vera Gemini. If mm-hmm. that's any hint, and like every single thing in it, pretty much every line is from a Bloister Cult song. Really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. The actual dialogue of the comic is all Blue Story yeah, Bluish or Cult song. The actual dialogue of the comic is Blue. Wow. Yeah, a good chunk of it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I guess my 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 connection to with metal mm-hmm. and the nerdly art goes back to actually seeing the movie Heavy Metal by oh. Ralph Bacci. Uh, yeah, of course. So that's sort of, you know, my, that's sort of my connection between the nerdly arts and heavy metal. So, um, and and the the movie was awful, and the, 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 the mm. music was pretty much glam and, and, and hair metal. But there was a, there was a charm that I, uh, I still associate with, with mm. with that and um uh, yep. it was certainly better than than rob batchy's take on on lord of the rings so which i yes it was which i would say so you know mm-hmm. um i i think you're i think you're right rob there it, whether whether people like it or not there is <laughs> an intrinsic connection between the nerdly arts and and heavy metal the two are have a have a, a wonderful and loving symbiotic relationship. <laughs> and if anyone ever doubts that, go on to Google and do a search for heavy metal album covers. Ah. Okay? Yes. And look at the image results yes. from that. You will get the widest variety of horror, science fiction and fantasy images you're going to find anywhere. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just and, looking at some right now. My son has a, a heavy metal a cover art uh album. Uh, book and I'm just looking at some of them right now. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. Some yeah. of the uh, some of the most disturbing imagery you will ever find <laughs> on an album, and some of the silliest stuff that you will ever find. That's true, Rob. You, you're right. You're right. You're right. So all in all, <laughs> can we agree that heavy metal is a true nerdly art? Yeah, indeed it is. Yeah. And on that note. Uh, thank you very much, Richard, for coming and hanging out with us for a while and talking metal. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. Oh, my it. pleasure, gentlemen. It was a blast. And, and uh, anytime you would like to invite me back, I would be uh, I'd be honored to, to come back. And we, we, we'll, we definitely will, because I know you have some strong opinions about science fiction itself that uh, we'd like to discuss at some point in the future. <laughs> oh, that would be my honor and pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. It was great. <laughs> great fun. Okay. Thanks again, Richard. Um, Any final thoughts, Don? Oh, no, I'm good. (laughs) 
Okay, so on that note, I'm going to bring this uh, meeting of the Department of Nerdly Affairs to a close. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to chime in with your own uh, heavy metal thoughts and experiences and such, and how metal has been a part of your uh, nerdly life, come on and uh, check out the website and comment on our page at obeythedna.com or come on to our Facebook group, Operatives of the Department of Nerdly Affairs, where you can also talk about uh, metal or, or whatever other interests you have in the nerdly arts. Mm. Good night, all, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!